Hello again, Mouthful with Shanti supporters. My name is Shanti Charan. I am your host. I appreciate y'all tuning in. If you are not following us on Spotify, please do so. And if you haven't given us a five star, it helps us out. It keeps us going and it keeps elevating uh, marginalized voices. Moving into our guest today, I'm very excited. Her name is Karina Ho, also known as Oniko. Oniko is a musical artist who mixes electronic beats and sounds with her influences in blues, jazz, and classical music. Her new album is called Rodeo Pantheon. Please check it out on Spotify. She began her musical journey after becoming paralyzed in a car accident in 2014 and released her debut album in 2017. She began this part of her musical journey back um, in 2014 when she became paralyzed in a car accident. Uh, she then released her debut album in 2017. She tells a universal story of overcoming loss and rediscovering love through her own narrative and strives to promote visibility of disabled artists in mainstream music. And so here we go. Now our phones are on and now we have mentioned elderly animals. What the hell? What the hell? I know. You should have told me to put my phone in airplane mode before you came over because now my Instagram feed's going to be locked and loaded with it's, all these. It's going to share like <laughs> end of life crossing the rainbow bridge content. Oh my God. And then I'm just crying in bed because what I do in the morning is, is, I, is I look through my Instagram while I poop. Yeah, me too. And then I end up crying about some dog in Montana while I'm pooping. But I find it very <laughs> cathartic. It's like where I get my daily Releasing. emotional release. So my icebreaker question, if you could be anything in a kitchen, anything you could find in a kitchen, but it can't be food, what item would you be and why? The Asian side of me wants to say <laughs> a beautiful Japanese knife. Okay. You just, you just, you cut and it's like the most beautiful. You're yeah. like an artist. You're like yeah. the artist of the kitchen. Yeah. You know? That's, that's a really what I good one. Yeah, that's what I would I would do. Man, that's so good. I don't even have, like, I've looked up knives. Like, they're, they're kind of pricey, you know? And they're very I, pricey. I have a, not even mediocre. It's like, something that's like 30 something dollars you know and so i don't even have what you would be in my kitchen that's how i have one only because my <laughs> friend works at sur la top okay and gave me an employee discount and it was also on sale during the holidays but um little vip vibe little to you VIP then vibe. And <laughs> it is really i thought i don't think i would have had that answer had i not gotten that it's okay like my first step into adulthood there you go you've been yeah. shown the light it's like a bidet like once you've yeah, used one, then which you're I like, oh man, have. you know, they're yeah. very important. And then now that you Japanese knife, now you're like, what am I? I go to people's houses and I'm like, this is what you cut an onion with? Like, this is, this is bad for your hand. And then it turns into like a medical thing. And I'm like pushing towards a good knife because of my mother's arthritis or whatever. You yeah. Know? So that's me. That's, yeah. That's what I would contribute to okay. your, your kitchen. A knife. I like yeah. that. So I saw online that you're a classically trained pianist. Yes. Very classy. It goes with your with your knife vibe. I am a classic. <laughs> <laughs> VIP vibes. Um, but tell me, uh, has what age did you start, and how did being a pianist shape who you are today? Like how you may look at things. Well, I am actually um, the most stereotypical Asian person. Um, <laughs> I feel like every first generation Asian kid starts out life playing the classical piano 
maybe the violin and then maybe going to some language school on Saturdays. Yeah. Like before yeah. your four year university. Yeah. Jump. Before your, yeah. So all parents for some reason think that is what makes a well-rounded kid. Yeah. So yeah, I started out life just playing lots of classical music and, but never told that I could be an artist. Yeah. The only three career paths that were available to me that I told existed basically were doctor, lawyer, or business. Yeah. Um, I actually remember going up to my my mom and saying that I wanted to be an artist. I was like nine. Uh, no, I said I wanted to be an actor. And she was like, Chinese people don't become actors. And it was the <laughs> 90s. So she wasn't wrong. But it was not very well, What about in China? What's up with the cinematography I in mean, China? I mean, in China, maybe. But she was like, everyone's really racist here. I mean, she was not wrong. She was not yeah, wrong. Yeah, you're just going to be pigeonholed, maybe. And I'm terrible at acting, so that, you know, it's okay. So classical music, I think it was such a privilege. Gave me the chops. I could yeah. do, like, fancy stuff. Love me yeah. some Chopin. Love me some Rachmaninoff. Yeah. But it was really only until I discovered black music uh first like i listened to Jimi hendrix in high school and that just like cracked my musical world open yeah and made me want to not play classical music anymore yeah um and so that really set me on this journey of breaking away from just like the traditions that my parents told me were yeah what was good yeah, it's like you get really good at the foundation of the maybe really complex, intricate, different timing from a different time thing. Mm -hmm. And then you find your own way and you bring in these other aspects. And yeah. So, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then the follow-up question to that was, how did that shape you as a person now, being classically trained, playing music for so long? How do you navigate life differently? I think more so than classical music, it was more, just going back to me being a stereotypical Asian kid, um, I feel like most Asian kids are, and I don't want to be generalized, but I feel like I'm pretty correct on this. Most first generation kids are not told to do something risky, like yeah. become an artist. So I always dreamed about it. I played in bands growing up. I played just rock music. I played jazz music and I low key dreamed of being a rock star, but yeah. always kept like a very responsible office job. Yeah. Um, so it was always like my side hustle and I just couldn't feel, I never felt empowered because I always felt like my mom would just whoop me, which she probably would yeah. even as an adult. And it was only after she passed away that I started to go on this artistic journey. So that's kind of, yeah, not quite answering your question. No, but, but that's yeah. awesome that it helped, you know, it helped you find your path. Yeah, yeah. Your it started me path. in a very boxed path yeah. because classical music, as beautiful and gorgeous and amazing as it is, it does. It's it's based on uh, like limits. You're given music and you follow the music, and that's that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. now you can put any notes on the sheet that you want. <laughs> Right? Hey. Yeah. yeah. Stick it with the musical vibe. Yeah. Awesome. So, yes, I wanted to talk about, so then moving into your album. You recently just released an album, Rodeo Pantheon. Mm -hmm. And uh, just please tell me about that. I found it very chill and meditative and calming to listen to. I did it, listen to it while just doing work and 
I really appreciate your work. So thank you. I love to hear. I appreciate that. Like I said, I feel like, uh, you know, as an indie artist, you put your heart and soul into things and you put it out and like five people listen to it. So that really means a lot to me. That's how comedy um, is too sometimes, you know, but I really did appreciate it. Yeah. We're all just hustling until we make it. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's my first full length album. Uh, it took a long time to make because I produced everything by myself. I'm a music producer, but by training, as you already asked, I'm a pianist. So I actually had no idea how to electronically put together whole compositions yeah. until fairly recently. So with every song, I feel like I was able to explore more and really dig into myself as an electronic music producer. And um, yeah, I think the, 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 the vibe of the album is sort of kind of sums up the last 10 years of me navigating uh, a lot of personal loss and trauma, but also a lot of upsides. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like getting to know you, some of your lyrics when I go through it, I really feel like getting to know your story a little bit is really reflected in the music. And it makes me feel, I don't know from where you might intentionally be coming from but i am on the wavelength i feel like of where you are and so yeah um i guess i wanted to talk about a specific song which got my attention um because it's in a different language mm -hmm. and so i don't want to butcher uh uh the taiwanese language by trying to say it so if you can, one more time yes okay okay it's i kind of got okay it. because they're not actual words they're all on on onomatopoeias to represent the rhythmic chugging of a train going through a mountain tunnel. It was uh, the last song that my mother taught me. So I don't, I don't know if you are aware. So the reason why I'm in a wheelchair is because I was in a car accident. Mm -hmm. My mother was also in that accident and passed away as a result. And so a lot of what I do as an artist is um, kind of an homage to her and the way she like prepared me for life. So she grew up in Taiwan. She immigrated from Taipei in the 70s. And um, the last time we went to Taiwan together, she taught me that song. And so as I was thinking about new music, I, I kind of wanted to do just like a an electronic remix of something that was traditional and close to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool to be able to bring that back. You know, it yeah. makes it feel like it's everlasting now, you know? Yeah. It's very different from the original. As are you. Your mom is the original oh. song and you are kind of like the electronic remix, I'm you like know? the hipster version. Of yeah. 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 But you carry the energy on. I do. Yeah. I mean, she was a tiger mom. And even though if I was a parent, I would not be a tiger mom. But I think that energy really prepared me to deal with some hard shit in life. Yeah. So I do appreciate it. Yeah. Now, if you asked me like 10 years ago, I would have said many different things. Yeah. So I would love to actually go through some of your songs then. And, and as you tell me about this journey and thank you so much for sharing yourself. And like, I could only imagine the hardship of having to go through something like that. And it, it's so beautiful that you're able to create something from such uh, types of traumatic experiences into something so beautiful that like, that, you know, we get the privilege of, you know, listening to today. So Thank I'm you. just really appreciative of 
what your healing process is is becoming and what you're produ- what fruit you're producing in that process. Um, but some of your songs have lyrics available, uh, which I was looking on Spotify. Wait, they um, don't all have your lyrics available? I need to check on that. I know, right? Do they all have it? I don't, I don't know if I they all, but I'm always, I always, uh, I'm a big sing-alonger, so I always look at lyrics if I can. Um, but I guess, is there any particular song if, you know, of course you feel close to all of them in different ways. Is there any particular song um, that you would want to maybe unpack a little bit? I would love to do that with some lyrics. Uh, yeah. I mean, the song Rodeo Pantheon. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip to it and I'm going to pull up the lyrics right I now. believe is the third song yes. in the album. Uh, the name Rodeo Pantheon I stole from a gay cowboy artist. Um, so that is not original. But <laughs> the song itself I wrote about my experience taking antidepressants because... Mm. I think this is a fairly common experience. Yeah. We exist with low levels of depression and we may not even realize it for like yeah. years. And then we suddenly realize how heavy we've been feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's crazy. So I didn't realize, well, I mean, I, I've long been against medication. I think, you know, with yeah. the shame and the stigma and blah, blah, blah. Finally, my therapist convinced me to try antidepressants and it blew my mind in that it just brought me from like a low level like feeling heavy and down all the time to just Mm. neutral yeah and that was like that was such a relief um I felt like so much just to be at neutral I was like oh this is what you're supposed to feel like yeah and that's what inspired the song I mean if you listen to the lyrics when you follow doctor's orders you feel so good. Yeah. Um, and the, the end, um, I feel so numb, was kind of the beginning because I don't know if everyone has this experience, but I personally felt personally felt a bit void of emotions at mm-hmm. first. And then I kind of got into it. But for like a good month, I was like, where did my emotions go? Like, why yeah. am I not crying every day? Yeah. Um, so that was sort of, it, it was that whole sort of journey of getting used to yeah. antidepressants. Yeah. Did you feel like that feeling of depression came on after the accident or did you feel like it was something that was always underneath that just a different positionality in life put you into the situation to want to take antidepressant? It was definitely uh, circumstantial. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, the accident really, uh, really challenged me and continues to challenge me every day. But, yeah, I was dealing with a lot all at once. Like I was injured when I was... 27 years old so like you know the peak of being in your young adulthood mm-hmm. seeing everyone else around you getting married and doing this and that and you're just you know trying to make it to the next day so yeah. uh the first few years were really tough and that i think i carry around a lot of those memories mm-hmm. and that fuels a lot of the art that i make now yeah what did you find were some of the biggest challenges from getting around and now having to use a wheelchair in your everyday life. What did you find was the challenge of getting used to that life? Uh, well, as a woman, my upper body strength was just non-existent. Okay. So pushing your ass around is really hard. Yeah. And I, I'm quite buff now. Okay. Um, Yes. I go climbing, but back in the early days I was super weak. So I could barely get myself around anywhere 
um, which then caused social anxiety because I was afraid to like go places where I didn't really know that many people mm -hmm. who could possibly, you know, help me if I needed it. And, yeah. Uh, so it was like, yeah, a lot of overcoming. Also just the kind of bodily issues that come with being in a, like a young person in a wheelchair. People yeah. just like look at you differently. They treat yeah. you differently. You experience what ableism feels like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's a rough that's a rough transition. Real quick for some listeners, could you tell us what ableism means? Ableism is um, kind of is the is discrimination towards people with um, disabilities. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not so much. It's it's a bias against uh, and a hierarchical bias based on your ability. So if mm -hmm. you're disabled, if you have less ability, you're kind of demoted in terms yeah. of hierarchical stature. So, so something about. about uh, Rodeo Pantheon uh, about the music video I saw the little clip on Spotify. It shows like puppets. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I just guess I wanted to know like where what what inspired um, the puppetry in your music video or in the little clip that I saw. Well, I was looking at this uh, so Chinese uh, shadow puppet theater. Yeah. It's this ancient art technique um, before they had. Uh, yeah, it's an ancient art technique, and I uh, it basically came. It was a very interesting story. This emperor lost his favorite concubine. He really missed her, and one of his advisors discovered that by projecting lights onto cutouts, you could create like a whole scene. Yeah, and so they started to use puppetry and blah blah blah. So I used that idea, and um, yeah, I think so. It's about a cat and a dog. And it's sort of the, the dog is sort of like going through my journey of mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was and really it's just cool. supposed to be kind of wacky and surreal, and uh, that's it. It fits it. It Thanks. fits. It goes with the vibe. Yeah. So I guess you also mentioned um, that you're into rock climbing. Oh yeah. Which I find super interesting. Please help me understand how do you prepare to go for a climb, um, but also I'm just really interested how people. Um, of course, you're only speaking from your experience, but people with spinal cord injuries. How do you continue to? Um, make sure you're getting the physical activity that you need, which rock climbing, that's a great outlet. So I guess I just want to hear about how you prepare and how, you know, uh, a climb goes for you. Yeah. Well, I'm paralyzed from my chest down. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't use my legs at all. Uh, essentially, I use kind of a secondary pulley system. Okay. So two people, one person, it's called a belay or belayer. Um, they're basically, you're connected to a rope and they're just making sure you don't fall. Yeah. So I have a second person manage this pulley system that kind of takes a little bit of the weight off of me. Yeah. So for me, rock climbing is essentially doing um, just a full-on pull-ups. Yeah. So uh, it takes about a third of my weight off. So instead of pulling up 120 pounds, I can I only have to pull up 90 pounds, which is still insane. And oh my doing gosh, that you are over getting super bu fit, like buff, yeah. like with all of these upper arm workout or yeah. upper body workouts. I it it it's really it's it's a fun activity, but I feel very self conscious about getting too buff. Yeah, going back to that ableism thing, you know, as women, we're supposed to have delicate delicate bodies. So when you're like a, like a monster. In your biceps and not a monster everywhere else yeah you just start to feel self-conscious and i hate oh that. i hear what you're saying about uh, uh upper body strength and then it being different from other places i hear what you're saying yeah. in regards to that yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Instead of just like, hey, I'm really buff. I can break your dick off. Yeah, you know? like exactly. that could be scary. I too. could break someone's dick off. To be <laughs> you probably could. Fucking strong. <laughs> Wait, am I allowed to say? Are you gonna? Yeah, edit out say all it. Out. Oh, no, okay. I love it. You could. Oh my goodness. I like that vibe though. That's good. You know, you have to have that. Yeah, especially um, because I live alone. I do everything by myself. And so I just need to be on point all the time physically. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying, you were mentioning earlier, the time frame in your life that this accident happened. You were 27 and, and you know, you're in a young adult place and, you know, we're meeting people. You're talking about dating now. One thing that I know that I've come across when researching, um, you know, paraplegic people is that people tend to assume when it comes to sex and sexuality, people tend to assume that some people with disabilities or some people that are paraplegic are asexual or cannot have sex, which is a misconception. So I guess I'm just wondering on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I found that the number of stupid questions I've gotten is insane and invasive and so invasive it's like my spine's broken not my vagina yeah and also just because your spine is broken doesn't mean that that it just breaks up the barrier and moved away like it's still there and they're like can i ask you these like like questions? if you don't mind me asking how do you have sex and i'm like literally i just spread my legs like it's yeah. just the same yeah um i still enjoy having sex as much as anybody else yeah um yeah, it's a common misconception. Unfortunately, it's like the way that moms kind of get like desexualized. Yeah. Just because you had a kid, you're you're done. You're a withered flower. Or just even older women. Older women. Yeah. Same thing with with um, disabled people. You're just yeah. put in this like asexual, desexualized bucket. Yeah. And it sucks. Um, so dating has been harder. Yeah. Um, you get a lot more stupid questions. It does serve as like a good asshole filter though, because like assholes are just not gonna like wanna even go there. Yeah. So luckily I haven't met any like truly disgusting people. Yeah. But um yeah, I do I still get those questions and there's so much educating, which shouldn't be my job, but yeah. it is my job. I mean it becomes my job because people are idiots. Um but yeah, just for anyone listening, disabled people enjoy having sex and can have sex. And some of us can bear children, just like non-disabled people. Some people, yeah. yeah. And I feel like some people <clears throat> can also maybe have a different idea of what sex can be. I feel like some people might be so limited to just think sex is just penetrative. P in the V, P in the V. But also we have like erogenous zones and like tongues and like, breath and like words and sometimes getting so advanced here yeah like sometimes if my neck gets licked the right way it super turns me on you know and as so someone it's... who is paralyzed i don't feel the same way yeah so yeah totally other things besides penetration are like very necessary soft just, caresses oh, love a give soft your caress. arm give me i arm. i love <laughs> just like a soft caress sometimes it's like oh my gosh it's really like and i feel like this heteronormative world and sometimes it's hard because people just think like gotta get my dick in and, and oral those those are the things you know and it's just like so it's like that scene from friends 
you know, where she's like, seven, seven. Do you remember that scene? Remember. Well, you know, Monica is dating, is where Monica's explaining how she has different zones and how she would like her dream man to go to which zone. And then she's like, one, two, one, two, three, one, four, four, five, four, five, six, 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 seven, seven. And, you know, it goes like to all these different zones. And I feel like that needs to be more like men you, need like literally a roadmap yeah. of how the body works. Yeah. Um, like you were saying education. You're like, I'm tired of educating them. I'm really so I unfortunately fell victim to TikTok. So I spent yeah. way too much time on it. But what I'm really appreciating is this increasing conversation around, um, you know, just women or non-men choosing to not prescribe to all these, you know, yeah. very heteronormative milestones in life. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in my 30s and I'm single and I'm pretty cool about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really loving it. Really yeah. enjoying about my own house. Like oh I'm my, doing the congratulations. thing and I'm just, you know, yeah. I think we have to look at it differently. Like you're saying too, like there's so many amazing things you can accomplish when single. Yeah. When not having children. Like touring yeah. musically. Like I don't have to be feel tethered to anybody. Yeah. And honestly, I think that, you know, as an artist, not only am I trying to like preach the word of disability inclusion, but yeah. I'm just trying to show up as like a, a woman who's not white and who's not able-bodied and just yeah. come off as like, I'm doing my thing and yeah. I do it well. Well, hopefully I come off that way, but that's, yeah, no, you do. I and think just taking up space in that way is really powerful. You don't even have to make some political statement, you know? Yeah. So, so I guess I'm wondering when I think about your different intersections now, it makes me think if I think about your intersection as a woman, your intersection as someone who um, has a disability or you, you know, how, what, how do you prefer? What do you prefer me saying? Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes people have a problem with the word disability or sometimes I don't know what oh, language. Oh, fine. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm wondering about intersections in regards to your woman, you have a disability, and you're dating. And I wonder, a man that has a disability and is dating – you know, we have two similar intersections here, but one is different, which is biological sex and maybe the gender roles that you may perform. But then those gender roles in our society reflect different things like caregiver and being taken care of. So I wonder, what have you felt is a difference that you've observed from maybe, you know, maybe different from what a man may experience in the same positionality when trying to date? in a hetero world with a disability. Yeah, I mean, I think both, part like the whole disability thing makes just life complicated. Yeah. Um, for a woman, I think people kind of see you, they, they place that expectation that you're supposed to be the sexy, you know, feminine. And, and so when you come at with the disability and you, they may not think that you are that. Yeah. Similarly with males, like you're supposed to be macho and strong and be the you know, caretakers. So if you're disabled, people may discredit you because you, you know, you can't be like the, the hot, like woodcutter husband or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you're, we're, we're both working against these like stereotypes. Yeah. Um, and un it, it unfortunately, yeah, it does make dating more complicated, but in a way I think just being out there, like, I think when people see me on the like yeah. hinge or whatever, 
like you you inherently think about ask yourselves you know ask you know i think people will question what do they think about me yeah so my whole thing is just like being present in spaces where don't people don't usually see folks with disabilities yeah. is really powerful in itself and it's taken me a lot of uh, many years to come up with like the courage to just put myself out there yeah artistically dating wise just in general but now that i'm doing it more um i think that it's yeah it's challenging people because they don't they don't expect it yeah outside of what we were talking about earlier in regards to sexually what are other misconceptions what are some misconceptions that people have about you or paraplegic people that you've experienced? I think, um, unfortunately, people tend to underestimate me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel very frustrated because I think when people see me, they mainly see the wheelchair mm -hmm. and it leads them to be really patronizing. Like some people go as far to like pat me on the head like a dog, like it's, wow so condescending it's so infantilizing they yeah. don't see and to you know i'm in my own body and my own life and i see myself as this like badass lady who's doing her thing but yeah it's so frustrating to me that no matter what i do no matter how independent i am people still just are hung up on the wheelchair thing mm -hmm. um so they just need to get over it like it's not my job yeah have you ever used your wheelchair um as a weapon Yes. To maybe shove people out the way. I, I tend to avoid crowded spaces, um, but the few times I am at a show or a bar where because my face is at like ass level, people be farting on me <laughs> unknowingly, I will just just shamelessly run into people's shins because I don't I don't have the time, you know? You're like watch or you fart, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, I always, I look around. I, I look around when I do a public fart. I want to know what are the consequences? Who's going to hear or see this? You're very considerate because it. most people don't care, especially dudes. Yeah. They just rip. They give no shits. And I'm there and my face is there. So I have a question about what able-bodied people, what can people do to make life easier for the disabled? You know, it's not something that I had to think about when I was able-bodied, so I totally get when it's, like, out of sight, out of mind. Even thinking about you coming into my, my place. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's nothing, something I thought about before. It, and it's not something I ever had to put two seconds of thought. Um, and so I get it, but I think it, this is a great question because it can bring to light that a fifth of the world's population has a disability. That, you know, we ever, that's, like, what, four... What? Oh my God, my math is failing. That's like That's a lot. billions of people we're talking about. Visible and invisible. Visible and invisible, cognitive, physical, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's. I think it's about being people's allies. So if you're know, asking questions, advocating for accessibility, if someone, you know, I'm typically the only disabled person in most places I'm in. Mm -hmm. um, and so if I have access needs or something, having other people advocate and be my allies and be like no we need to make sure there's a ramp or you know, yeah. we need to make sure the power in numbers yeah. and it makes me feel less alone because often I'm usually advocating for myself yeah. um, but when other people fight the good fight with me um, and can empathize with my experience 
it really is quite empowering and it makes me feel closer to them. And I hope it does the same like them from towards me. Yeah, because accessibility can be so foundational for so many different groups. And yeah, so everyone, like, like a ramp, everyone can use it. People with strollers, people with bicycles. So it's just, you're advocating for making everyone's lives easier, essentially. Yeah, and how have you, have you faced any of these challenges when, when being a performer at like the venue? Oh my God, like the majority of venues are inaccessible and I have to be lifted like a Nubian queen in front of like a, a whole audience, which, you yeah. know, sounds cool, but it's scary. You're trusting people to not drop you. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel disruptive to your vibe. Yeah. You know, performing. Totally, yeah. totally. Um, and I know there's some artists out there who refuse to perform in any venues that are inaccessible, but unfortunately you're sort of ruling out like all venues. Yeah, and so, as an artist, sometimes it's like, what do I have access to in regards to just where I'm at in my level of art? Yeah, and I, and that it speaks loudly when most places aren't accessible because it's like, you're not welcome here. You're this is not a space yeah. where people like you turn up. So yeah. we didn't even need to think Consider about you. Um, and so I am trying to tour and perform more, and to to just basically disrupt that. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of like up. my impetus. That's my motivation as an artist is to just fucking disrupt shit with my moody ass melancholic music. With my, I don't have melancholic music, but I, I have a moody ass. Great. And so Great. I want to disrupt shit why, with my moody yeah, ass. <laughs> I used to love punk rock as a kid. And this is me trying to be punk rock yeah. as an adult. Fuck yeah. Yeah. You're like, wrap it up, bitches. Ramp I want to perform up. here. I don't want you to lift my ass. I want to yeah. get up there by myself. Yeah, yeah we ain't fucking unless you ramping it up. Woman. Damn, Damn right. right. So the last question we ask, um, the last question I ask here uh, to everybody is, how can someone, anyone, your family, friends, lovers, future people in your life better love you? Oh, what a great question. <laughs> I think empathy is everything. Um, I think everyone, no matter what your life experience is, can use a little empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, my life experience, because it's so extreme and not many people can relate to it. Um, like, I think the some of my experiences are honestly like the stuff of nightmares. It's incredible. So when people make an effort, especially the people around me, make an effort to try to put themselves there, it means a lot. And I think it brings us closer because it's so isolating. I think anyone who may be listening, who has experienced trauma, it's the most isolating thing because you truly feel like no one can understand you. So yeah, empathy. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for really sharing yourself and, you know, giving me perspective and hopefully listeners perspective to help us be able to have a more conscious way of looking at the world. So then we can make these changes to make, you know, things more accessible. So everybody can uh, take up space. Yeah. In those spaces. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. So say your social medias so everyone can follow you, your music on whatever platforms. It's all available. So my album is called Rodeo Pantheon. 
My artist name is Oniko, N-I-K-H-O. And you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Oniko Music. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, please follow on all the social medias uh, that she listed. Please follow us. Uh, Mouthful, Shanti Trend Comedy. If you would like, uh, please give us a five star on Spotify. It helps. And uh, and listen um, to the album and also give that five stars. Yes. Um, because we are wonderful artists that are contributing to this world. And uh, we need you to support us and take care of yourselves and uh, wash your butts. And don't fart on people. And don't fart on people. Look back before you fart in public. God damn it. Oh, yay, Bernie. You just woke up in time. Bernie.